Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, Internet? It is Austin. Uh, I am coming to you from the past, uh, immediately after writing um, my Monster Hunter World take, review, thing, um, whatever we're calling it. Uh, Monster Hunter World uh, came out today, uh, is, is when I think we're going to drop this bonus episode, uh, Friday the 26th of January, um, and uh, I wrote about it, uh, and so I wanted to give that a read so I could uh, toss this in here, um, and uh, let the people who maybe are curious about that game, but who, um, don't always have the time to go to the website to read our stuff, uh, get a chance to hear kind of what I think about it. Um, I'll say up top, this is not like a very traditional <laughs> review. I, I don't go over how many weapons there are or like, um, whether or not the learning curve is great. I mean, I, I touch on that stuff. You'll, you'll, you'll hear. It's a very Austin Walker thing that I've written here, so I'm gonna take a big sip of water, uh, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna start reading. Big sip of water. When 3D was still fairly new to games, the promise of scale was enough to get my attention. Miles of road to drive over, mountain peaks to climb, rural fantasy townships and sci-fi space colonies to explore. News articles began announcing how long it took to cross a map or how many oblivions could fit into the land masses of competing worlds. But it wasn't only worlds that grew. Enemies got bigger, too, with screen-filling Castlevania bosses evolving into the monstrous giants of Demon Souls and the step-scraping titans of Shadow of the Colossus. Monster Hunter World could, by all rights, add itself to this lineage and call it a day. It has large, complex environments that clamber up into tangled jungle canopies and tumble down into winding carrion burrows. Its creatures begin at bus-sized and rise to living landmasses, and all of them dwarf the player's character. And yes, there is the sheer, terrifying scale of Monster Hunter's signature complexity, too. Statistics, items, equipment, cooking, weapon movesets, Assignments, upgrades, expeditions, trade missions, horticulture, bounties, crafting, charms, ranks, elemental weaknesses, NPC partner affinity, map zones, and somehow more still. The point is, the scale could be the only thing that Monster Hunter World trades on. Thankfully, through its first 25 hours at least, it does more than just impress with size. It offers scale that moves, that surprises, that frightens. It does that by blending scale with other things. The dynamic and surprising movements of its creatures, the intricate and clever level design, the visual variety of its creatures and spaces, reflecting a willingness to depict both the majestic and the grotesque, 
often right up against one another. Monster Hunter World shows best when it's in motion. This is why it's so uniquely gifable. It's also why I couldn't stop admiring the way both my character and, especially, my enemies moved, whether I was chasing a giant iguana through the brush, or diving under the talons of a poison-spewing bird, or scrambling out of the water and onto a raised islet to escape from a hungry, mud-caked fish beast. The titular monsters move with such verisimilitude that, even once I learned their attacks and patterns, they retained a sense of life that I rarely see in other games. What elevates this achievement even higher is that those lifelike movements only get better when the monsters came into contact with me or with other monsters, which is where the pristine animations of most games fall apart. Instead, this is where Monster Hunter World shines, separating itself from all of the other games I've played where I've battled massive creatures. Two illustrations of the point. 1. It is minute 30 of my hunt. I've tracked and wounded an Anjanath, a sort of pink Tyrannosaurus Rex with smoke and flame wisping from its maw, to the very highest point in the ancient forest, a nest built on top of a clearing made of naturally woven branches, leaves, and ivy. I'd first found it stomping down a trailway in the lowest depths of the woods, frightening away other smaller creatures with its heavy strides. I'd wounded it there, dodging fire, tooth, and claw, and striking back with my switch axe, a sort of cleaver that stores up energy and can transform into an elementally charged greatsword. It did not falter from my blows, but I worked it down, bit by bit and I eventually watched it limp erratically up the heavy boughs that make up the forest's network of pathways, and to what I presumed was its home, a matted bed of flora, brittle bones from past meals, a few eggs. I approached its resting body calmly, raised my blade, and heard the roar from above as a dragon arrived. It came with a speed that wasn't meant for my eyes, only for achieving its goal the expulsion of Anjanath from its home. And that expulsion was quick. In one motion, as the creature I was hunting rose from its slumber, the dragon sunk its claws into its side and lifted it up in the air. I expected a fight, maybe because Anjanath had given me one. Instead, there was only a struggle. It writhed and screamed in the dragon's grip, and I found myself wishing it would slip away. Instead, it was flicked off the edge like a napkin or a toothpick, back to the base of the forest. I'd carve it for parts a few minutes later. 2. It split twenty claws into forty, and I was afraid immediately. It was kind of a dog, I think, but like if a dog were the naked muscle of a bicep or a tumor the size of a small subway car. It faced me down in a pit of poison gas on small hills of crushed bones, and it moved with the determination of a fully opened faucet, circling around me before charging in with a speed nothing else in the game had come close to. If it were the player, I'd tell you that they were cheating. With the burly switch axe in hand, I couldn't constantly dodge it the way I could Anjanath's flames, so I started flailing, trying to anticipate its arrival, trying to catch it in its mouth, which, by the way, opened way too wide. The first time I really hit it, I gasped. It had charged just as I'd done a horizontal slash downward, and it rammed its head directly into the blunt side of my blade. And so, seeing it worked, I found myself turning the swipes of my sword into a shield. Suddenly, Monster Hunter World had become a baseball game, 
waiting for the pitch to cross the plate and swinging away. I've played hundreds, maybe thousands, of very violent video games. This was the first time I've ever felt like I actually punched someone. From listening to friends who love the series, even from watching videos, I'd imagine that combat in Monster Hunter World would feel quote-unquote deliberate, the word that critics often use to summarize a style of action popularized by Dark Souls. You move carefully, you manage a stamina meter, and maybe most importantly, you commit to long, relatively slow attack animations. But deliberate misses the mark here. Holding that dog at bay wasn't deliberate, it wasn't careful, it was flailing and desperate, and it felt most of all like holding a dog at bay. Little of the game's animation reads as if it was handcrafted for the sake of the player, even though it surely was. Instead, it reads as if this is just the way the world honestly moves, as if this is how it has to move. It's why so many of these fights have felt grave and ugly and, yeah, a little guilt-inducing, especially when the wounds from these fights are so well communicated. Horns and tails are cut and their owners disarmed. The wyvern who spouts poison from its tail loses its most frustrating weapon once it's gone. Fur, feather, and scale are ripped away, leaving bald spot where blade met flesh. Like Anjanath, most of these creatures limp when they're wounded. It's partially a clever way to indicate their diminishing health without putting a meter on the screen, but it also communicates a larger sense of animal vulnerability. I didn't think I'd feel bad for the 40-clawed, raw-muscled dog, especially because it did not limp. It did something else instead, brain-rotted by the poison gas, maybe. When it was finally wounded, it fled a small distance away down a fetid alley and just laid down. Not to a hidden burrow or nest, not to a pack of beasts who would protect it, just around the corner. And when I woke it and broke its spirit again, it did the same thing. Poor, stupid dog. I certainly don't judge anyone who loves these battles. I often do too, but I do have meaningful pangs of guilt afterward as I always expected I might with the series. Partly that's because of the game's success in rendering the monsters vulnerable on the screen, though at no point does it become a Shadow of the Colossus lesson in who the real bad guy is. In fact, part of my guilt reflects back the lack of alibi to hang these kills on. I never made a single piece of Anjanath gear, and the game's story does little to justify my actions. As a quote-unquote A-class hunter, you travel across the sea to the quote-unquote new world where a major expedition has tracked the quote-unquote elder dragons. Through the 25 hours I've played, which includes all the low-rank content, you explore the continent and you hunt some monsters in your quest to uncover why the dragons made that trip to begin with, getting a light lecture on the circle of life and the beauty of nature on the way. It all falls flat. Partly that's because the game struggles to characterize its primary players at all. It doesn't help that no one except for your pet cat, who is customizable and extremely cute, has a real name. But more importantly, it's because any ecological message it tries to convey is undercut by the larger narrative and mechanical thrust. You are here to conquer and claim. Monsters are great to study, but they're better for parts, and they better not get in your way. It's frustrating, because another narrative frame may have drawn me in. Instead, each cutscene is a speed bump in my interest. But it's also strangely honest. Monster Hunter World is a game where the most realized elements, the creatures and the places, are meant to be mastered. 
you master them so that you can cut them into pieces, and you cut them into pieces so that you can make new gear, and you make new gear so that you can master them better. Even when you choose to trap monsters, a slightly more difficult task than simply killing them, you're rewarded with their pieces when you get home. You are not a hero, you are a hunter who kills for sport. In our current moment, the phrase Big Game Hunter brings to mind the Trump sons posing with their kills, holding dead leopards and detached elephant trunks as sublimated stand-ins for wealth, privilege, and supposed masculine strength. But this association is older than the Trumps. For as long as the modern West has colonized, the act with which it marked itself as the West, it has reduced the lands in its margins to hunting grounds. Distant regions are places where bounty can be gained, both literal and metaphorical. Through the full set of low-rank quests, Monster Hunter World embodies exactly this colonialist fantasy. The pillaging of natural resources, the violence against native people, and the rhetorical establishment of the colonizer as civilized and rational. There are other problems, too, separate from one's taste for that particular theme. The life of the hunter, unlike the life of the hero, is repetitive. Once I learned the ins and outs of all four areas, at least all four that are in the low-rank quests, Monster Hunter World showed its hand and began to drag, at least in the single player. Worse, once I unlocked the high-rank quests, I received an all-at-once dump of new side missions spread across familiar quest types, a dozen or more new equipment recipes, and an overarching main story objective that required me to repeat the same hunts I'd been doing for the first 25 hours, but with remixed enemy placement and higher damage by some of the monsters. It all unlocked at once. There was no more slow unfolding of new stuff for me. It was all just there. That's the game Monster Hunter World is, and from my admittedly limited experience, it's the game this series has always been. Lots of repeated content with tons of optional and personal objectives like learning how the different weapons work, all with a high but masterable learning curve. If that doesn't sound good, then I'm not sure there's much here for you beyond the opening low-rank missions. And I mean that as someone who often sees my friends excited for something and convinces myself that maybe, just maybe, there's something there for me, too. Every now and then, there is. Most of the time, not so much. In the case of Monster Hunter World, there has, surprisingly, continued to be something for me. I spent last night capturing some gameplay footage, and I expected to find it a chore. Instead, I lost an hour to learning how to use a new weapon, and even those old hunts held a few surprises. It is repetitive, and I suspect that will wear me down sooner than later, but for now, I still have some curiosity to satiate. More importantly, Monster Hunter World will color every future game that tries to bring scale to bear in both marketing and design. Monster Hunter World doesn't settle for raw largeness. It gives scale momentum and force and a strangeness that I had forgotten was part of seeing new big things. Watching the creatures of Monster Hunter World leap and climb and lunge isn't like watching an enemy in a video game. It's like being a kid and seeing a plane lift off the runway for the first time, or an elephant picking up speed, ears flapping, or a cruise ship coming too quickly into harbor. This is the sort of scale where disaster seems imminent, always. In its very best moments, Monster Hunter World captures that feeling, and shifts it only a little, by testing whether you or the monster will be the disaster. 
All right, that's going to do it for us. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. You can follow everything we do at Waypoint at twitter.com slash Waypoint, facebook.com slash Waypoint Vice, waypoint.vice.com for for all of our articles. Uh, That's going to do it for us. We'll have a real episode today also. Um, And, uh, and, you know, we'll probably uh, do some streams uh, either today or or next week when we get back to Monday. Uh, uh, Maybe we'll stream some Monster Hunter. We'll see. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for me. Peace. Wait, nope, one more. Shoutouts to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You of the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. All right, peace. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.